Don't be afraid and offended by the boy. The J Files on Double J. Break the stop sign. The Mars were a dumb idea from the start, Humphrey. Let's yes. admit it now on Triple J. <laughs> they, yes. they are a pain in the dong. They itch, they're itchy, they're scratchy. Mm. No one takes you seriously. The greatest artists you've never seen. Dress-ups, face paint, elaborate masks and disguises. Some musos have carved a career out of keeping their identity hidden. Daft Punk, Sia, Pussy Riot, Subtract. Would you recognise them if they walked past you on the street? Probably not. But when the music is so good, does it even really matter? Definitely not. Gab Burke here, J-Files producer at Double J, and this is the Behind the Mask J-Files podcast. Coming up, you're going to hear from one of the most recognisable robots on the planet. The faces today are sometimes more important than the music itself, and we really were intending to do the opposite and maybe sell the music with the music itself. Also, the artist who plays gigs in a full-body human cannonball suit. I take my guitar and, and go into a room... And I'll turn that room into a guitar party room. And you're going to hear from a journo student from Glasgow in Scotland who came up with a theory that was the inspiration behind this J-Files. There was never my intention to just go in and say, like, yeah, man, this is it, point the finger at the guy, you're him, come out. Yes, right now. They were an anonymous seven-piece outfit from Melbourne, known for wearing balaclavas in public and going by ridiculous, culture-mocking aliases like Jock Cheese and Ron Hitler Barassi. Every fan and their dog claims to know who they really are, and although only one of them has actually outed himself, will we ever know who was behind Tism? For a dumb idea from the start, Humphrey. Let's yeah. admit it now on Triple J. <laughs> they, yes. they are a pain in the dong. They itch, they're itchy, they're scratchy. Mm. No one takes you seriously. But we you've crossed all, the line. We mm. have. We crossed the line. And you and can't we, go back. We regret the day we ever thought of these masks. And I've got to tell you that. And uh, if we could take them off and uh, take them off and survive, we would do so. I'm on the drug. I'm on the drug. I'm on the drug. The Kill River Phoenix. What you're essentially saying here is that the mask is is a core promise. It's not a non-core promise. Yes. You're mm. stuck with the mask mm. and you must right. stick by the mask because yes. you've made yeah. that promise it's, to the people yes. of Australia. It's not like, you know, you'd never get a Prime Minister saying something like, we will never, ever take our mask off, full stop, never, mm. and mm. then a year or so later saying, we're going to take our mask off. Or you I wouldn't promise, get that, would I promise you? if I do good. take the mask off... <laughs> I'll only take it off once. Mm. I won't change the mask. That's it's, right, that's and I won't apologise... Uh, no. at all for taking that mask off. Yeah. You won't pick him out in a crowd, but you'll definitely know this robot. That's still to come. But one of the best live one-man bands going around is an artist who wears a big motorcycle helmet with a telephone microphone attached to the front. It goes nicely with the uh, shiny one-piece jumpsuit number that he wears on stage. 
Here he is talking to Triple J's Robbie, Marik and the Doctor in 2009. Bob Log the Third, welcome into Triple J. Hey, everybody. For those people who might not have um, witnessed uh, the, the spectacularness of your shows before, what goes on at a Bob Log the Third performance? Well, I, I, I take my guitar and, and go into a room and I, I'll turn that room into a guitar party room. And people kind of jump around and smile and dance. And sometimes people get pregnant. <laughs> that's okay. Everybody that's has a good time. Uh, it's, it's all about jumping and sweating and smiling so much your face hurts. That's a very powerful, loud. powerful kind of effect to have on people. Well, it's not everybody, just sometimes. <laughs> and you use a, sometimes you use a boat in your show as well. I have been riding on people in a boat. Uh, one day I just thought it seemed like a good idea to try and put a boat on those people and get in it. And they didn't drop me, so I tried it again. And they still didn't drop me. But then one day in Perth they dropped me. But it didn't hurt because I had this helmet on my head. So see, it all comes back around. I always wondered why I was wearing that thing. While Bob Log III goes full incognito, other artists have dipped in and out of different characters or disguises throughout their careers. One of the most iconic alter egos is David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy first appeared on the 1972 concept album The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. And then there's Kiss. whose look has inspired costume parties and Halloween makeup the world over. So why do artists do it? What is it about being in disguise that's so appealing? You're with Linda Mariano tonight and we are chatting to Claptone. He does choose to be quite an anonymous figure. When performing live, he wears a mask and even during interviews decides to alter his voice. So that's what you're hearing and that's who you're meeting tonight. Hello, Claptone. How are you? I'm fine. So, yeah, don't be afraid and offended by the voice. That's my voice. Do you think people do get offended when, when they go to meet Claptone and what they're hearing is, I guess, quite an anonymous entity? People are afraid of what they don't know, so sometimes, yeah, it could be. What was the, I guess, the real idea behind you removing that personal element to being a producer of music and kind of pulling that personal element of who you are away from that? The personal element is still in there, but... I mean, to a certain extent, you're right, and it's about freedom, I guess, and freedom of music. I, I can just make my music and be happy with that. J files. They've been so hot. So I just come in like an hour before, do this press stuff and then do the show and then I literally walk off the stage in my ridiculous costume and into a car and drive home. And no one can miss you because you like a bit of glow on the dark action, don't you? Yeah, I mean this new costume is really kind of it's weird. Can you describe it? Yeah, I mean it's just like there's this artist called Liu Bolin, who's a Chinese artist and if you were to Google him you would just Google Invisible Man, like uh, or or L I U B O L I N, and he um, is he paints himself into the background, so he becomes in- invisible essentially, and he d- it's so beautiful. So I stole a- an idea from him, and I tried to kind of paint myself into a backdrop which I'm attached to, 
So I'm attached to a large piece of cardboard that me and a couple of friends have decorated. Brilliant. Um, to match my outfit, my face, my hair, my arms, my feet. So the whole thing. Almost so you can't really see me. But you can still. The black and white one I made for New Zealand was kind of more effective than this one that I'm wearing right now. But it ma- the one that I'm wearing right now matches the entire set, so I'm going with it. Has costume design always been big on your list for your performances? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I like that. Well, I'm, I'm a bit insecure, so I always go for a gimmick or two. So I think that I always, I guess I always think that it's fun to have a lot of different, like, rabbits to pull out of a hat in case I'm having, like, a crummy moment, like, um, confidence-wise. And I'm I, sure you spun out a few Americans when you did American talk shows over there too. Yeah, I guess so. Although they do have very left-field sense yeah. of humour over <laughs> O-T-T. there. O-T-T. Yeah. So sometimes, yes. Sometimes crazy with a K, a Y and two E um, DJs don't get my sense of humour, but well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Essentially, the main reason is it's just so my music can speak for itself, really, you know. It avoids me having to talk about, you know, the records before people have heard them. You know, people listen to my music and get more inclusive, I guess. But, you know, in terms of, like, performance, it also means I can I can go out and be anonymous, you know, just, like, write my music, go and play it and walk off stage and still no one knows who I am, which is kind of cool, really. Where do you get the masks from? Do you make them yourself? Do you have a few crafternoons, perhaps? <laughs> Someone makes them with me, basically, yeah. They... they, they they create them and we kind of design them together, really. So, yeah, it's just um, kind of a series. It keeps on going, really. You know, every release or kind of every so often we get new ones for my DJ set and for the live shows. So, yeah, it's kind of always changing and kind of, yeah, it will keep developing, really. That's Aaron Jerome, a.k.a. Subtract, who performs wearing Native Society ceremonial masks. And before that, you heard Sia talking to Rosie Beaton backstage at the 2011 Big Day Out. Hi Australia, hey there, my name's Craig Williams and I'm from a place called Glasgow in Scotland. I came up with a theory about the lead singer of Massive Attack and the possibility that he indeed is the elusive street artist Banksy. Yep, that's right. This whole idea for a J-Files on artists who perform in disguise was inspired by this story during the rounds online about a guy from Scotland who came up with the theory that the lead singer from Massive Attack is mysterious street artist Banksy. You're going to hear about it very soon. But first, they're the most recognisable robots on the planet. Without the disguise, though, you probably wouldn't even know if they were standing right next to you at a gig. In fact, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that they walked freely and happily through the crowd at Coachella Festival one year because nobody knows what they look like under the robot helmets. How good is that? In 1998, Thomas Bongleterre, one half of French electronic music duo Daft Punk, caught up with Triple J's Richard Kingsville. Homework from Daft Punk. It's been a very successful album for you. Were you, were you ready for the success that it was going to get right around the world? You're never ready, but uh, I think you can you can take uh, you know safeties. So uh, it's true that uh, staying anonymous the way we, we decided to was a good safety net. Now the album, the name and the, the music is very successful and we stay quite down to earth this way, I think. So we're really happy about the, the way things have finally gone.
Your partner in Daft Punk is Guy Manuel. Yes. Yeah. Either of you, are you identifiable in France? If you walk down the street, no, do people no, know no, who you not are? Not at all. Not at all. No, okay. No. 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 You like? Do you like it? Do you like it that yes. way? Yeah, we really like it that way. I think, especially nowadays with the communication and the fact that the album was released in you know 40 countries and is mainly instrumental music. We we stand against a lot of of, of ideas uh, regarding the star system and the the way the music is, is sold with the faces today and, and, and the way that, that the faces today are sometimes more important than the music itself. And we really were intending to do the opposite and maybe sell the music with the music itself. Of course, people buy the record or not. You know, it's not the main thing. But we wanted really to share the music with people and people that were really just into into the music we were doing and not not into our, our, our face. Hi Australia, hey there, my name's Craig Williams, uh, I'm from a place called Glasgow in Scotland, famous for its fried pizza, uh, people stabbing each other and bands like Franz Ferdinand. I put forward some kind of crazy theory that the lead singer of Massive Attack, a guy called Robert Del Nadja, is the renowned street artist Banksy or rather that the identity of Banksy is basically a group of artists who operate under Robert Del Nadja's stewardship as a former kind of graffiti artist himself before he formed the Mass Attack group. And I started looking at any links that might appear between the two, which was basically a case of me on one side of a sheet of paper writing down any kind of instances where Banksy works appeared around the world, out with of Bristol and London, and on the other side of the paper, writing down when Mass Attack played shows in these same places. <gasps> a kind of pattern appeared over the course of maybe like 12, 13 years. Like in San Francisco, Toronto, Boston, in around May 2010, LA 2006, New York 2013, and of course in, in Australia, in like Sydney, Melbourne around April 2003. Banksy Works appeared at the same time Massive Attack played concerts. Thank you. I looked at the kind of Glasgow connection as well in that there was a really cool place here called The Arches, like a techno club under the main railway station that sadly shut down. Banksy did his first ever solo show there in 2001 and it was kind of, I don't, people are thinking why would he choose somewhere like that for a place to go. And then I looked at kind of a massive attack influencing that they themselves chose the same place, the Arches, as the launch pad for their 1994 album Protection. I did like a little bit of an analysis on Robert Donaggio himself and like his, how his political issues are shared by Banksy on Palestine and how he went to Naples in 2004 to see his first football match there. At the exact same moment, the exact same time, matter of kind of days, Banksy work appeared also in New Orleans. He did like a, a soundtrack to a documentary there called Trouble the Water. Trouble. 
not been expected yet. It could be dead people right now as we speak. Because the, the National Guard, they have not been here. And it's two weeks after the hurricane. Again, like 14 new Banksy pieces appeared around about the city prior to the premiere of the documentary. Dunaja has got some like, strong links with Mali through Damon Albarn of Blur and how some works appeared in Mali around about that period of time. I think it's that kind of thing, you know, being a kid, the escapist thing, the superhero thing, then the graffiti thing was very much like having this secret identity, do you know what I mean? Where you go out and, you know, be an outlaw by night and, you know, Clark Kent by day, it's all, it's all a bit of fantasy. It was never my intention to just go in and say like, yeah man, this is it, point the finger at the guy, you're him, come out, get millions of cash out of saying that and stuff like that. No, 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 it was just kind of like to add to the start to the debate and add a bit more to it. Robert Donadja himself, in response to the suggestion that I put forward, said he's not Banksy, although it's a good theory. Everybody's Banksy, which I guess if you were Banksy, you'd say that yourself. And huge thanks to Craig Williams for sharing his theory with us. He's actually published it on his blog, glasgotransmission.wordpress.com. Have a read and you can make up your own mind. All right, that's it from me. But Double J's Dan Condon has recommended five masked artists you might not know yet, and it's a cracking read. Check it out at doublej.net.au. And what's on the J-Files next week? I'm Gab Burke. Catch you later. The J-Files. <laughs>